There is power in the name of Jesus. It's not just a magical word that we say to make things go, but uh, you can talk with people about God a lot of times, but when you mention Jesus, true God, true man, <laughs> you, you see the uncomfortableness there with people sometimes <laughs> because you have to deal with who He is. To know who He is, though, brings a joy beyond all joys, doesn't it? When we come to that point. We had been going through 1 Corinthians, and we want to get back to and finish 1 Corinthians 6, the last verses there. So if you have your Bibles with you today, we're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 12 through 20 here today. And uh, as we begin, I'm, I'm reminded of the power in the name of Jesus. When you share His Word, it, it affects people, and it can hit people right where they're at. And I was reminded of the story of a man who was filling pulpits years ago and he told me about his what had happened to him one time. He was approached by a man after the service. Now, anybody who's been a pastor, you get approached sometimes with different things that come along. But that man shook his hand, but he looked him straight in the eye and he said, Pastor, that's the worst sermon I have ever heard. And then he turned and stormed out of the church. <laughs> And the pastor was telling me this. He said, I felt crushed. I'd worked hard on that sermon, praying that it would give God's message very clearly and that the Holy Spirit would touch their hearts. And he said, after that, as people kept coming through the line, there was an elderly gentleman who stepped up, put his hand on my shoulder, and with a mischievous grin on his face, he said, your sermon really hit all of his buttons today. It was just like you'd known him for years. <laughs> um, and the pastor told me, he said, obviously I didn't know the man, <laughs> but God did. And it was God who spoke to his heart. I have a dear friend up in the church, in one church in Roseau, and that happened one time with him. He said, you knew exactly what was needed today. And I said, no, <laughs> God did. And he'd remind me that very often. He'd say, um, you know, it was God who was speaking to me again today. And it's amazing to think about God's Word as it goes forth. Let's read God's Word here today as we continue on through 1 Corinthians. And God has Paul shoot very straight with the people in the Corinth church. And we'll see it again here in verses 12 through 20 of 1 Corinthians 6. And again, reading in, in God's name, but you can remain seated out of reverence to Him. Beginning there, verse 12. Paul writes, he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, 
for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. (laughs) The first thing we're going to look at here today uh, that I'm going to note is permission and food (laughs) as we begin. Paul starts out and he says, everything is permissible for me. That was a Corinthian saying, by the way. Everything is permissible for me. (laughs) And it was a saying that people today use as well. Everything is permissible for me. The real thing that we're talking about here is Christian liberty versus the license to sin. When Paul says everything, he's talking about all things. Um, we use this big word sometimes in, in uh, circles of doctrine and stuff that way. We call it adiaphora. <laughs> all things, the things that are not specifically commanded or forbidden by God in the Bible. Um, it doesn't say in the Bible you cannot watch the Vikings, for instance, on a Sunday. You know, we can go that specific with things. And when people come to this all thing and they say, see Paul saying that all things are permissible for me, they, they either take it one way or the other. And by the way, um, things are left to a Christian liberty, to Christians' own judgment on things. We use the scriptural principles that are there in that way. But the color of carpet in the church is something that's adiaphora, right? It, 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 it doesn't become something that way. Well, to write a fictional novel or something that way, that's adiaphora. There are things that come that way. What's wrong here? It, well, first of all, it depends on the motives, because even good things can be done with wrong motives and with the wrong sense of the heart. But the application becomes what's wrong here. Some people think that when they hear that phrase that, that everything's permissible for me, some people think that they need to fix that with legalism. <laughs> they need to have a law for everything. In fact, that's what the Pharisees and the rabbis did. They had books full of what you could do and couldn't do. For instance, you couldn't comb your hair more than so many times on the Sabbath. They had those type of laws. <laughs> So they tried to fix and do everything and make it all legalistic. Or you can take it completely the other way. And you can fix it with license. Do whatever you want. God is saying you can do whatever you want. Now, where I'd like to take you with that in regards to things, we need all of Scripture together. In Colossians 3.17, Paul would write, he said, Whatever you do, do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to the God, to God the Father through Him. All things that we do. The things that aren't specifically noted here. And the answer here in the second half, Paul adds, but not everything is beneficial. <laughs> not all things further or aid us in our earthly life to say nothing about our spiritual life in our Christian profession, in our Christian vocation, in what we do. And and do you notice in the second part of that phrase, Paul does not say me in the second half. He includes all the benefits for all others affected by what we do or what I do or refrain from doing. (laughs) Paul says everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by everything. I won't be enslaved by everything. Um, 
Freedom doesn't mean the absence of constraints or moral absolutes. Many people today think liberty and freedom means we can do whatever we want. Suppose a skydiver at 10,000 feet announces to the rest of the group, I'm not using a parachute this time because I want freedom. It's a weird thing to say, but the fact is that a skydiver is constrained by a greater law, the law of gravity. But when the skydiver chooses the constraint of a parachute, he's free to enjoy the exhilaration that God's moral laws act the same way. They restrain, but they are absolutely necessary to enjoy the exhilaration of real freedom. You see, the freedom that we have in Christ is a freedom from sin. Not a license to do whatever we want and license to sin. And so we have to keep and remember that. And that's what Paul is bringing up. And then in that next verse, in verse 12, or sorry, verse uh, 13, 13 there, as he goes on in verse 12 and 13, he says, food for the stomach and stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. Food for the stomach. We need food, right? To nourish our body. And the stomach is for food, to receive that thing. But one day, that's all going to be destroyed. The new bodies, I'm not sure exactly how that all works. He always brings up the new body aspect of things. But we don't need a digesting organ anymore (laughs) in that sense. And then he says... That next part, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. (laughs) The body is for the Lord to obey and to honor him. And the Lord is for our body to bless us and to save us. And one he will abolish and the other one he will raise up. Verse 14, for God has raised the Lord and will raise us through his power. And then verse 15 comes the fact, and this is the title of the message today, don't you know? Paul says this, he says, don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? (laughs) Know that your bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. One of the things I need to give you a little background as we go into this is that in Corinth, they worshipped the Greek gods. And a lot of the worship was to go to the temples, the temple of Aphrodite, the temple of Artemis or Diana and things like that. And part of worship was to go to a temple prostitute. And so he's dealing with that aspect and laying that out, but he's dealing with a deeper aspect with regards to things too. He's reminding the people that our bodies are members of Christ himself. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. Paul wrote, he said, Therefore I encourage you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It seems weird to say, but we need to die, don't we? To really live. 
to die to sin. The one unique thing about a living sacrifice, if you put it on the altar, it can crawl off. (laughs) But he goes on in the second verse, he says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God's will (laughs) is that we allow him, that we are that living sacrifice. We give We allow Him to be Lord of our lives. We die to ourselves. And He's the one who brings life. (laughs) I love the words of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. The the salvation aspect is so clear there. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift from God. There's the clear aspect of what salvation is. But then we're also reminded, once we know Christ, what were we created for? It says there, we are His workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We don't just throw everything out. We now know the price that's been paid for us. So now we know what we were created for. And we do it out of love now for Him instead of doing it trying to be good enough for Him. (laughs) Don't you know? (laughs) And so he says there, should we prostitute ourselves in that word that's next, God forbid, or never, (laughs) as it says, is that strong no in Scripture. It should never be that way. Fornication, sexual immorality is a terrible sin because we are fully giving ourselves mind, body, and soul. To someone. People say it's just physical. It's not just physical. And that's the point that Paul is bringing out there is God's design for the beautiful aspect of, of what that is. Paul takes them, he takes them right to, to ver, I mean, in verses 16 and 17, verse 17, it says, For it is said, the two will become one flesh. Paul takes it right back to the beginning of what marriage is meant to be and what God's design is for our bodies in that way, to become one flesh. (laughs) And the word there that's actually used, that word for join or to unite in this way, it's a a Greek word that was sometimes used for gluing things together. (laughs) If we glue ourselves to someone else and to this immoral aspect of things, we're, we're literally gluing ourselves and it becomes more than just an act. <laughs> um, as I think about that, in that way, do you notice what, where we should glue ourselves to? What does he say? Verse 17. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. This is this mystical union that's talked about in Scripture, the Holy Spirit coming to live within us. We aren't God. We don't become a God. But we have God Himself, the helper, the comfort Jesus said would come. The Spirit of God lives within every true believer. That unity is there. Now, He does take it farther there in verse 18 and he says, flee, run from sexual immorality. 
And he notes that truth. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. We aren't to be flippant like the Corinthians were, like we are today very often. It's, It's a fact that sex sells out there. That sex appeal and all the different things. But Paul here notes it with the Corinthians and he notes it for us. Don't flee. Take flight. When I read that, I automatically, my mind goes back to Genesis 39 and to Joseph and Potiphar's wife. And Joseph, as, as she threw herself at him really and gave him that opportunity, in verse 9 of Genesis 39, Joseph says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? (laughs) He notes about Potiphar too and different things, but he says, how can I do it and sin against God? (laughs) Don't you know, Paul said, and he says it again in verse 19, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. It's about having spiritual life to have eternal life in Christ. It's life versus death here. And he's reminding them again of who they are. And the fact that that's Holy Spirit, God himself, lives within them. There's a story about a vacuum salesman down in Tennessee, and he was out in rural Tennessee, and he had a his vacuum cleaner and all his tools and everything, and he went out there and he told the lady, he said, I've got the most exciting vacuum cleaner you've ever seen. It will clean your house from top to bottom. You only have to pay so much down. And the lady said, it sounds really good. And he said to her, he said, you see that big pile of dirt right there on the floor with all those fur balls and bugs and things? He said, my vacuum cleaner will just pick up all those things up just like that. And and if they don't, he said, I'll eat it. She said, well, you might as well get your knife and fork because we don't have any electricity out here. (laughs) You'll be sucking up dirt the rest of our lives if we don't have the power. We just sang about it. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. The power is Christ. The power is the Holy Spirit. The songs we sang at the beginning are chock full of great doctrine and great truths about who God is. The three in one. (laughs) One true God who came to this earth. (laughs) Dwight L. Moody, the, the great preacher from of old, was to have a campaign in England. And an elderly pastor in England protested. He said, why do we need this Mr. Moody to come? He's uneducated, he's inexperienced, and went through a whole list of things. Who does he think he is anyway? Does he think he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? (laughs) 
And a younger pastor rose up and with some wisdom responded. He said, no, he doesn't. But the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. Does the Holy Spirit have a monopoly on you and me? Paul is reminding the Corinthians and he's reminding you and me. Don't you know? Don't you know that your body are members of Christ Himself? Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, it says those words. It was not with perishable things like silver or gold that we were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to us from our forefathers. But it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Whatever we are to do, we are to do all to the glory of God. That's where it comes here. When we know Him. One person put it this way, to glorify God is a six-fold activity. To worship God is to recognize His worth, His worthiness. It's to look Godward, to acknowledge in all the appropriate ways the value of what we see. That's what glorifying God is. And Scripture views the glorified in God in this way, praising God for all that He is and all His achievements, thanking Him for His gifts and His goodness to us, asking Him to meet our and others' needs, offering Him our gifts, our service, and ourselves, learning of Him from His Word, read, read, and preach to us, and obeying His voice, telling others of His worth, both by public confession and testimony to what He's done for us. So they said, thus we might say that the basic formulas of worship are these, Lord, you are wonderful. Thank you, Lord. Please, Lord, take this, Lord. Yes, Lord. Listen, everybody. This, then, is the worship in its largest sense. Petition as well as praise. Preaching as well as prayer. Hearing as well as speaking. Actions as well as words. Obeying as well as offering. Loving people as well as loving God. However, the primary acts of worship are those which focus on God directly. And we must not imagine that work for God in the world is a substitute for direct fellowship with Him in praise, prayer, and devotion. Can I put it in just plain old language? It's having a daily living relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it is. He becomes the focus. Dennis Bird was a professional football player. Up and coming defensive superstar for the New York Jets. He was predicted to help turn the Jets organization around. And then tragedy struck. November 29, 1992. They were playing the Chiefs and he was about to sack the quarterback when he collided with a teammate and his spinal cord was snapped. In a split second, his whole football career ended. He was paralyzed from the neck down. Everything he had planned for his life came to a screeching halt. (laughs) 
he wrote about it later on. He said, I woke up in the middle of the night at Lennox Hospital in a halo brace, not knowing where he was, not knowing why he couldn't move, not knowing what was happening. And suddenly he went from dreaming of making it to the Pro Bowl to hoping that someday he could hold his daughter in his arms again. From a worldly perspective, Dennis was no longer able to reach his potential. <laughs> but in God's eyes, Dennis Bird is cap- was capable of much more than sacking quarterbacks. In God's, excuse me, in God's eyes, Dennis Bird was capable of giving him glory. And that's what Dennis Bird did in a tremendous way. The world watched and listened as Dennis Bird told the media that Christ was his source of comfort in the time of tragedy. And the doctors announced to the media that Dennis may never walk again and it would be years before they would know. And Dennis told the media that with God's help, he would walk again. On the opening day of the 1993 football season, less than a year after what happened, millions of television viewers watched Dennis Bird walk out, albeit slowly, to the middle of the Meadowlands Stadium with 75,000 fans standing and cheering in ovation. The miracle in Dennis Bird's life is not that he broke his neck and walked again. The miracle is that the injury that destroyed his career did not destroy his life. Because he would give glory to God whether he would walk again or not. By the way, Dennis Bird died in a car crash here just a few years ago in in 2016. So he's no longer with us. But that's just an example of what we can do. We are to honor God with our bodies. Look at those last two verses again. Hear them. Let them sink in. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, and therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. <laughs> Don't you know? <laughs> Don't you know whose you are? <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. And even as we sing here at the end and we come to you to the Lord's table, to your table, to receive your body and blood. May we be reminded who, whose we are. <laughs> and Lord, if there's someone here today, Holy Spirit, use your word to draw them to yourself so they can have that assurance and know for certain that, that they have you, O oh God, the Holy Spirit living within them. And we also pray, Lord, for your help and your strength to do that glorifying. We can't do it on our own. We need you. (laughs) Help us to not take license with things, but to go forward in the truth of what you have for us and to, to live for you in the gospel and the good news of who you are so that that law becomes a wonderful thing for us so that we can love you and love our neighbor as ourselves. I pray these things in your name, Lord, and we look forward to, again, what you will do in each of our hearts. Help us, we pray. Amen.